Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Konga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm warm. It's warm. It is very warm. I think it's about 29 degrees today. It's going to be warmer. If anyone hears any background noise, we have to keep a window open because it's too it's too warm in here. It is really, my goodness, yeah, yeah. Especially with Moose's hot takes that are on the horizon. <laughs> Segway. Can I say actually as well, like the best investment I've made, euro for euro since arriving here, was an 80 euro fan from oh, that You love this store. fan. It's a game changer. It's got three speeds on it. And honestly, as someone like me that works from home primarily, it has changed my summer. Really? You can just get so much more done. Yeah, you just put it on like, you know, second speed and just sit there and work through the afternoon. Nice. Anyway, sorry, back to the football. Can't go back to the football if you haven't started on the football. Sorry, okay, starting with the football, restarting with the football. Premier League? Yeah, sure, why not? Why not? Where are we going first? Liverpool Arsenal? Yay. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, but we kind of have to. Yeah. So, 3-1 Liverpool, but very encouraging signs from Nicolas Pepe. Who went to town on the back four a couple of times? First time Virgil van Dijk has been dribbled past in... Dribbled past or... I mean, it kind of looked like a cleansing, to be honest. Well, I mean, it happened once. But yeah, but the way it happened, I mean, what I love about Pepe is he's deceptive, mm. switches feet very fast, steps off quick. It's almost like watching a sidestep in rugby. He's really got this elusive balance about him and his body doesn't give clues. There were a few times when... It looked like the defender was about to get the ball off him and then all of a sudden he's gone. Yeah. And it's been quite a while since Arsenal have had a player who seems to be consistently that dangerous in those kind of moments. When he kind of really settles in, he's not even fully fit yet. He came back from holiday to sign. Mm. So he's only been in the club a few weeks. I think he's going to be really dangerous. And can I throw in a comparison as well to the way he dribbles? Because this has got me thinking now. There was a style of dribble they see in Argentina. And I'm not going to pronounce it, not because I don't know the name, but because it will sound pretentious if I say the name. But it's a style of dribble where you don't actually use tricks. You just nudge it past. They're constantly nudging the ball ahead. I think Ariel Ortega did it particularly well. Mm. And that style where they think they've got you and just nip it past. Actually, you know, Giggs was very good at that as well, to an extent. Obviously, Iniesta is very good at it. And Pepe has that same quality. It's very minimalist. You saw it, actually. If you, watch the, if you go back and watch... Um, the big breakthrough when he was playing at PSG in his previous club and they just tore them to pieces 5-1. You saw it there as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really excited by him. Obviously, Arsenal overall maybe disappointed in the result, but again, it's, it's Liverpool at Anfield. I think this is the thing that we have to highlight. We have to focus on how good Liverpool were and how good Liverpool are. Absolutely. Because I think, you know, Arsenal don't really have a huge amount to worry about this season compared to previous seasons. There aren't any glaringly obvious holes It's probably the deepest and best squad Arsenal have had for a long, long time. And you still saw just how much better Liverpool were. Now, there are very different points in their cycles. But I think we should focus on how good Liverpool were. Because, yeah, Arsenal didn't embarrass themselves. So that's an improvement. But Liverpool were superb. And actually, I I thought Arsenal did pretty well in the first half. Arsenal was super narrow, but there was obviously a plan there. You, know, you have to play narrow, otherwise Liverpool will just come. They're like a crossbow. You have a choice between either letting the front three run at you or the, the fullbacks cross. You know, and it was actually pretty interesting that out of the three goals, only one came from open play, and it was a mixture between brilliance from Mo Salah and questionable defending from David Luiz. But the other two, one penalty and from a corner. So Arsenal weren't carved open as much as they have been at Anfield in recent years. I mean, fair play to Emery for kind of at least trying to put a plan in place. But still, that just shows how good Liverpool are. Isn't it funny at Liverpool, um, for a team with as much width as they have, how much they end up killing you through the middle? Mm. Actually, you could compare 
Simeone's Atleti, back when they came to Stamford Bridge, that great performance by Arda Turan, I think one of his last great performances actually. But also Guardiola talking about this. Guardiola had a great quote and he said, the thing that Iniesta taught us was to attack the centre-backs. That's something people weren't doing. The amount of joy Liverpool have had against Arsenal the last two outings at Anfield when they go through the middle actually is something. So I think actually funny enough, Arsenal um, fans who are discouraged too much by this defeat are in danger of drawing the wrong conclusions. I think the trend with Arsenal is actually really positive. Yeah, I mean, we got a question about this from Jasmine Baba. Um, you know, did Arsenal play well against Liverpool or were they below par? Is Jasmine on? Do you have a Twitter handle? Uh, at underscore Babs J. Excellent. Oh, great. Thanks. I don't think they were below par. I think this goes into what you were saying about games that come too early. Mm. I think this was too early for Arsenal. Right. And Liverpool capitalised on that. Can I say this as well in the podcast? I think sometimes, and this is a criticism myself in this podcast, there's times when I'm in danger of critiquing a team for its weakness rather than the strength of the victor. And I think this is an example of where we could, again, not you personally, but maybe me just be in danger of critiquing maybe Arsenal but much and saying, actually, I just want to say for the, for the record, I think Liverpool are the best team in Europe. By narrow margin, but I think the best team in Europe, I think they have the least weaknesses. If you look at the overall Man City team in Liverpool, the top two teams in Europe, in my opinion, right now, the weaknesses in City are absolutely clear. If you attack City in the defence midfield position, and if you attack the centre-backs aggressively, you can find joy. I couldn't tell you looking at Liverpool where you would find the joy attacking them. They're so much better rounded than I think anybody else. Yeah, I think the, the thing about Manchester City is that they're deeper, especially in attacking positions. And I Absolutely. think that that's a, that would be one concern if I was a Liverpool fan is, I mean, yeah, they do have a little bit of depth with Shakiri and Origi, but if those one of those front three or two of those front three go down for a long time, that could be really tricky for Liverpool. That's where the midfield comes from. The goals yeah, in the I mean, field. I mean, you've yeah. seen Adrian did his best to kind of give the Arsenal a goal before Liverpool scored. You know, actually, in the first half, I thought Arsenal had two of the best chances. Right. Nicolas Pepe was one-on-one. Yeah. Probably should have finished better. He tried to move it onto his left foot. Aubameyang had that lob where I think if he took it one touch earlier, it might have been a little better for him. It looked awkward. For sure, yeah. There were chances, you know. So... The cool thing about this game is that for the first time in a long time, there aren't any massively sweeping conclusions that you can draw from it. It's not a Arsenal are done. You know, they've got a lot of players to come back in. They will be better moving forward, I right. think. But like we said, Liverpool, just too good. And Absolutely. That's kind of it. I think 3-1 was pretty fair. I mean, are we going to talk about David Luiz's shirt pull and nah, stuff? I mean, it's nah, just... No. no, also because you know what? There's enough people critiquing Louise, and I think it's clear that that was just a, a bad mistake. Yeah, an error. Yeah. Two errors, yeah. two goals. Mohamed Salah does what he does. Yeah, and actually, I was watching it at um, my friend Southampton Rob's. Southampton Rob yeah. <laughs> is a cult figure. I actually said that even as good as Salah's goal was, again, it was kind of going into what we were saying about De Bruyne's cross last week. It's standard, exactly. exactly. It look, that, but that's not to dismiss the goal is just almost, you know, that's just how good he is. For people like Mo Salah, that goal is just a gift. Salah has become as inevitable as Iron Robin, actually, in a sense. If yeah. you think about the kind of the delivery, and that's the greatest compliment to him. He's just like one of those golfers that never misses the cut. <laughs> even in a subpar season, even, well, subpar in quote marks, Salah was maybe 70% of the season before mm. last year, and he still had an extraordinary season. Still like a top five attacker. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of talk about Salah last season, wasn't there, about... Is he done? Well, we've been, it's funny, we've just been asked by ESPN to put together our kind of list of our top 11, our sort of standard 11, you know, that could win everything. 
and I'm definitely putting Salah in as the winger uh, on oh, really? the, the right side. Yeah, I just like he has to go in there. Like, you, can you spoil? Or... Yes, the one thing I'm excited about is I'm putting Messi as an eight. I'm using a midfield three. <laughs> yeah, a midfield three of Messi, De Bruyne, and Frankie De Jong. That's a midfield three. That midfield three, if you coach that correctly, that destroys everyone. Wow. Yeah, I'm doing it. Do you ever how Guardiola turned David Silva into an eight, one of two eights, and it worked beautifully in tandem with De Bruyne? Mm-hmm. Messi would be my left-sided eight, and Frankie de Jong as the third man in midfield, and the fullbacks pushing high up, maybe David Alaba on the left. I think that he could be rejuvenated under the right coach. No space for DJ Andy Robertson? No, no, absolutely not. I think he's amazing, but unfortunately, with the kind of... I wanted to play a winger who was less defensive than Sadio Mane, and so if you have that, you have to have a player like Alaba who covers... Um, all the ground, but also Tuxen as a midfielder. So yeah, that's the idea. But wow. I love Robertson. Is that out yet? No, not yet. But I'm oh, fine, so you're I'm just fine. giving it away. Yeah, of course. So I don't am. bother reading that anyone because... <laughs> <that'd> be... <laughs> that's, I mean, it's, it's part of an overall piece, but that's my sort yeah. of little hot takey bit. Yeah. Nice. So Liverpool top of the league then? Yep. Only side with maximum points. Man City. They are interesting because they had a um, very routine 3-1 win over Bournemouth. See, I didn't find anything about this particularly interesting apart from Harry Wilson's free kick. It just felt like a typical afternoon for Man City at Bournemouth. It was, you know, kind of expect what you'd expect. Even the City goals weren't that interesting. Well, they were just very City. It's just, we've seen that movie a million times. Yeah, true. You know? And yeah. this is, you know, how good they are and how good their quality is. It's more that Bournemouth gave them a good game, that's all. They're a match-up team. There are some teams who they really play against well. Yeah. And others who they don't. Okay, let's jump along then. Manchester United, Crystal Palace, I mean... What the hell? <sighs> First time... Crystal Palace have beaten Manchester United in the league since 1989. Do you know what? Enjoy it. Enjoy it, Palace fans. Enjoy it. Like, Manchester United, it bores me to talk about them because... Yeah, but you always say this. Yeah. And you have to talk about them because it's part of the gig. Okay, well, I'll talk about them briefly. They didn't recruit well enough in the summer in key positions. They should have recruited better in the midfield position for sure. Paul Pogba will not get the credit he deserves this season for keeping his mouth shut and getting on with it. He won't get the credit. He won't. He'll get criticised for missing penalties but when Rashford comes up and misses. And actually, Rashford, I felt sorry because Rashford took a really good penalty. Mm. This is the old cliche in football. When things aren't going well for you as a team, goals of that don't go in. And if that goal had gone, it would have been one all with 40 minutes to play. It would have been a different outcome. But as it was, United like drew themselves back into it and De Gea made a disastrous mistake at his near post. I've never seen a player fall so quickly from the best in the world as De Gea has done as a goalkeeper. And I don't want to get too much into the psychology of that. I think he has had a rapidly changing back four in front of him and it's hard to get certainly consistency. But just his sharpness has dropped. And I just wonder if not moving to a club like Real Madrid at a certain point in his career has affected him. Mm. Because it's a long, you know, it's a long few years ahead when you're like, I'm in a team that's not going to win anything. Yeah, Manchester United are not going to win anything major for a while for a while I think for a while I think, I think it's going to be a while before we meet you know we're not going to win a Premier League for a while surely um, we're not going to win a Champions League for a while if we do win it'll be a sort of Hail Mary and realistically you can't bargain that happening I could see Manchester United going 10 years without a Premier League title or a Champions League easy 10 years I could see it absolutely every year for the next 5-6 years it's going to be Liverpool or Manchester City it's just going to be like that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a top two now, isn't it? It is absolutely a top two. Yeah, but I'm, and they're miles ahead of anyone else, I outstanding think. Outstanding coaches with outstanding infrastructure and outstanding squads. Yeah, like, that's it. That's the, that's the tweet. That's it. Yeah. 
So, and actually, if you think about the situation at Manchester City, it's kind of mind blowing that Liverpool are even that close or, or ahead of them potentially. Because Klopp's unbelievable. It's like Diego Simeone in the era of, For sure. of that of that that Barca team and that and Real Madrid still doing bits. <laughs> Crystal Palace as well, though, great credit. Fantastic to absorb so much pressure. I'm always up for Roy Hodgson being happy. Me too. Me too. I'd love him. That man served his time. Yeah. Any former England manager who's vaguely nice, I've got time for because that job is the absolute crucible. <laughs> and no no one deserves it. No I'm one not. deserves it. Yeah. So Disappointing defeat at home for Manchester United. Also a disappointing defeat at home for Spurs. Yeah, that worries me more because the structural issues there that Pochettino alluded to, players being unhappy, squads being unhappy. And uh, there's a great Twitter account, um, Spurs fan, at Bankrupt Spurs is the Twitter handle. And I saw a tweet from them about this problem that, you know, for too long Daniel Levy has paid mid-table salaries to Champions League stars. And it's really now an issue. Luka Modric was being paid um, 40000 a week. I think at one point, having come from Dinamo Zagreb. And that was, you know, not a big enough salary. And it seems like those same problems have recurred. And Levy has done a wonderful job at Spurs and he's pulled together a superb outfit, really just maximising resources, budget and everything. But the cracks are appearing in that Mm. much earlier than they should have been at this point. I was expecting Spurs to really push, but you can't push for anything losing 1-0 at home to Newcastle. I mean, those kind of games do happen, but it was very similar in terms of vibe to the Villa game. Right. And we said that you kind of expect Spurs to come through that. And actually, I think that they probably had the better chances against Newcastle and they could have put them away. It's a worrying defeat more, I think, because of what you alluded to about the stuff that's... To come out and say that, to come out and say that, Pochino did. There are some managers who are always looking to make excuses, but Pochino, I think, is just being frank. He's being frank about this and saying, actually, these things affect a squad. And in a season when they should be stepping up and moving forward, they had a fantastic transfer window. The, the, the questions over Ericsson, there's, a chat, you know, there's issues there with his, um, his happiness in the squad, just to name one player. Same with Vertonghen. Right, absolutely. So it's, it's a shame for Spurs because they're one of those teams that I just wish really well. It's a big season for them as well. Obviously, first season, first full season in the new stadium. You kind of feel like they've got to make moves this year. Absolutely. Really. What do you think about the penalty? that wasn't on Harry Kane? Uh, it's hard to get excited about. I'm sorry. It's, look, can I be honest with you? I feel the same way I feel about United. And when you're relying on these things to go your way, there's bigger structural problems. If you look at the amount of chances City create, right, and Liverpool, they create such a volume of chances that if City or Liverpool didn't get a penalty, we wouldn't worry about it. Fair. Look at Hertha Berlin this weekend. Um, I was very fortunate to go and see them play at the Olympic Stadium. Hertha were awarded a penalty very early on and then the captain of uh, Wolfsburg, um, Joshua um, Gilavogi, appealed and it was turned down. Hertha thereafter didn't make much. And the reason why we stress about these penalty decisions, I sometimes wonder it's because we're like, we know they're not going to generate that much more without it. And Spurs didn't generate much more without it. I do think it was a penalty though. I do, I do as well. But I, I can't want, believe it wasn't given. But actually. I want to broaden the conversation about it because I sometimes feel like we get caught up in these individual things. We're like, the volume of chances should be creating. I mean, there should be an onslaught. I always think as a fan, and I say that as a United fan, let's check ourselves when we get caught up in it was, it wasn't. If we're really scraping the barrel mm. because that's the only chance we're creating, we've got to be a bit worried, I think. So yeah. Anyway. Frank Lampard got his first win. He did. And what a win it was. A great game, actually. What a game. That was so good. Tammy Abraham looks unbelievable. This is the beauty of it. And Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount as well, scoring the three goals for Chelsea. 
I get the feeling that Chelsea fans at this point are getting almost exactly what they want. Young players doing exciting things, winning games. Like I said before, I don't hate this Chelsea team. I really don't. And it's confusing me. I'm, I'm at peace with it. I love what Mason Mount is doing because Mason Mount's doing what Oscar was at one point promising to do for Chelsea. Defensively minded number 10 who can break forward and score goals. And with Oscar, there was a kind of glimpse of being that guy. Mm. And I hope Mason Mount becomes that guy. I still, I still love Oscar. He's up in China now earning you know, more money than his great-grandchildren will need and good luck to him. Generally good luck to him. Uh, Mount looked fantastic. And Abraham, I just, they've tried that lone striker role with people like Batshuayi and it hasn't quite worked for them. But just the confidence to keep starting Tammy Abraham. I, yeah. love, I love that. I still think they're a bit ropey at the back, Chelsea, and they're going to ship a lot of goals. Right. But good for Frank to get his first win at Chelsea. Absolutely. And to win it in that style as well. Mm-hmm. Any other... Stuff you watch from the Premier League you want to talk about? I watched Southampton, well, Brighton, Southampton. Gineppo came on, scored his first goal. Scored a beauty, actually. That tackle oh. was so... You know what? I'd be really worried. I mean, I he, he, he cost a lot of money in the summer, didn't he? And what was so strange about the tackle, getting sent off, and Doni's tackle, was that he fouled him and then he sat on him afterwards. You see that foul and then he almost like glories and it gets sent off and it's kind of this resigned shrug. And I just thought, oh my God, I hope you're not going to be difficult to coach. Um, it looked weird, I didn't but really, really did not anything like he, that. He, sat, he, he tackled him and sat on him, right? Yeah, but I don't think he was just like, "Oh, I'm going to sit on him now." Watch it, watch it. For okay, those, maybe because I, I mean, I watched okay. it and thought to myself, and it, it stuck. It really stuck out when uh-huh. I watched it back, and I was like, "Dude, that's really awful." Like, <laughs> Brighton have done really well already this season, and they're going to need him to keep firing. And they've now they've lost him for three games over a nothing challenge. Oh, it was a horrible, horrible tackle. I mean, but it was properly horrible. It was the aftermath that got me. It's the way he behaved afterwards. It was yeah. Anyway. Which sounds to Musa Gineppo, because that was a brilliant goal. Pretty much his first touch or something when he came on. He was only on the field for two minutes. I saw that goal, thought to myself, Southampton's little scouting machine. There it is again. And they've changed a lot of stuff behind the scenes. I was watching it with Southampton Rob. Oh, and he was uh, saying that Hazen Huttle over the summer has worked more in collaboration with the club and they've restructured a lot down to the under-18s. I think probably taking the approach that he had at Leipzig. Right. We obviously love Ralph. Yeah. We've said it a lot. I think it's going to take time, but I think he looks like he's in it for the long haul. And as long as they can kind of back him with the right players, because they have this policy of not spending a huge amount of money, finding players like Gineppo for that kind of money, I don't think they need to worry. And that's a great win as well. That's that a great a win, win to get you know, that there, that win there. Yeah, because yeah. Brighton under Graham Potter have looked good. And at home as well. Yeah. I mean, sorry, away, away to Brighton. Yeah. That's a big, big win. Yeah, definitely. So much respect. Um, quick break? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, we're back from the break and shout outs this week. Can I go first? Yeah, go for it. My shout out this week is for Jordan Nobbs. Came back on the weekend in Arsenal's friendly against Spurs. The first time since she ruptured her ACL, I think, just before Christmas or after Christmas. Obviously, she missed out on the World Cup campaign because of it. Um, She was doing punditry on BBC, I think. Came on, scored a goal. Uh, Arsenal won 6-0 over Spurs. Pre-season friendly. Women's Super League's back soon. But yeah, shout out to Jordan Nobbs because she is such an amazingly important midfielder for Arsenal. There's a really good piece that Tim Stormman wrote for Ars blog about her. Go and check it out. Arsenal last season really struggled when she went out in terms of their fluidity. 
and having her back fully fit for the new season, especially because they're going to be in the Champions League this season as well. Really massive for them. So, yeah. I love it's a preseason, but it's still Spurs. That's the beauty of it, like a 6 0 well, win. Yeah, I mean, Spurs got promoted, so there's going to be two North London derbies in the Women's Super League this season. So that's going to be fun. And a recovery from an injury like that, I mean, that's a brutal. Yeah, I mean, no injury like that is fun at all. Um, and actually, it's a real shame that Danielle Carter got her second cruciate ligament injury in two seasons in preseason a couple of weeks ago. Uh, or at the Emirates Cup, maybe I think it was. So that's a real shame. Real, you know, hope she's hope she gets well soon. My shout out this week is actually for Eniola Aluko because she's got a book coming out. Mm. Uh, her memoirs coming out in a few days called "They Don't Teach This," which is really just about her life, not only sort of on the field but off the field, and her progress. Obviously, like one of England's greatest goal scorers, um, hundred caps the country. And now doing big things at Juventus. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading that. Yeah, I can't wait to read that. Yeah, there's, I think there's an event going on in London, actually, and I'd love to have you know, been around for that in the country. But this is one of the downsides of being in Berlin. You can't, can't get there for the cool stuff. Uh, but yeah, really looking forward to reading that book. Um, yeah, definitely. Don't teach, yeah. Um, I think it's called, they, yeah, they Don't Teach This. I think it's called. Nice. Could, When's it out? You know? Just in a few days, actually. I think it's out in, I mean, around the time as, say, time as Kano's album. End of August. Big so, week. Yeah. yeah, very big week. Very big week. So yeah. Nice. Uh, should we go on to some questions Absolutely. before we move on to other stuff? Get into it. Mash St. Paddy, first question. Which of the following three managers is likely to go first with clubs knowing that Allegri and Mourinho are in the hutch? Kovac at Bayern, Valverde at Barca, or Tuchel at PSG? First of all, hey Mash, how are you doing? Secondly, I think Kovac is not even close. Do you think? Yeah, because look, Tuchel has been invested in by PSG, right? And he is marquee. They're not dumb. Like That's a marquee manager. And he made them look very good in the Champions League. Mourinho at Barca is just never, it's just such a non-starter. I don't think it's going to happen. No. And Bayern, I mean, he's learning German. Jose Mourinho's learning German. Like, Is he? Yeah. From autumn onwards, I actually wrote a preview of the, um, <laughs> plugging my work again for ESPN. I wrote a preview of the Bundesliga for ESPN FC, like eight things to look out for. And one of them was the fact that Jose Mourinho's learning German. And he told everyone he was doing that on Sky Sports. When Mourinho returns to the UK in the autumn, he'll start intensive lessons three times a week. It's the Bayern job. Where else would he do it? Yeah. Mourinho to Bayern just looks like... I suppose it's one of the only boxes left for him to tick. It is, absolutely. And it's a, it's a dream job for someone like him. Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the record of his previous two jobs, getting something like the Bayern gig for, for Mourinho is... Yeah. Go in and scorch earth. Get rid of an ageing dressing room. I mean, like, hey, come on, that's, that's peak Mourinho, that. I just wonder though with Kovac because they obviously had a huge wobble last year and there was loads of talk about him going at some points last season and yeah. you know he is Hernes and Rummenigge's boy and the fact that they kept him and then they went on to win the league which you might say is the bare minimum for Bayern at the moment but that's another story but still you know they got knocked out to the eventual winners of the, the Champions League I just wonder whether... No, they didn't no? get knocked out. They got knocked out. They got knocked out. This is the problem with Bayern. Like, <laughs> they're playing a 4-2-3-1 and it's uninspiring, right? The width is coming from the fullbacks. Look, they're great, but they're not pulling up trees. The front, what's the, what's the three behind Lewandowski? It's Coman that started. Coman, Gnabry and Thomas Muller. Look, that's a really strong domestic team. That team is not pulling up trees in the Champions League, right? And they got Coutinho off the bench. Okay, great. But, 
that team is a notch below and it's going to need investment in key areas to get it to a point where it's a perennial contender. And I really like Kovac. I really like what you said about him, um, the way that he rallies the squad. I think they really like him, actually. I think mm. he's a fantastic, he gets Bayern, which is important. Well, yeah, I mean, he was there for ages. Yeah, it's intangibles, but he get well, a lot of people at clubs don't, don't get it. Like he, he's, an, he's, he's someone who really embodies them. But I think with Mourinho on the market and waiting in the wings, hey. Oh dear. I think he's not long for this, not long for this job. And we got an interesting question from RJM on Twitter. Oh, he's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm really interested in your thoughts on company start at Anderlecht and the decision to, quote unquote, free him up from matchday managerial duties so early in his time there. And then he follows up saying, so I guess the more general follow-up would be whether the role of player manager is even possible in the modern era with the depth of tactical insight employed by most managers. Now, before we start answering this question, I have to admit, I haven't really been keeping up to date at all with what companies doing at Anderlecht yet. So I can uh, jump in there. Yeah. So two points from a possible 15 since he started. Anderlecht didn't do that well last year. And they finished between fourth and sixth. I'm not sure exactly where, but they finished quite badly last year. But there was a big expectation. This is a perfect storm, a perfectly awful storm for company. You have a player coming in who is not the player he was, right? So that's a guy that's going to get picked off. Defensively, he's been really struggling. Like his own game, he's been struggling. Because he, you know, everyone knows what company's weaknesses are. There's a pace issue there. There's a positioning issue to extent exacerbated by the loss of pace and the constant injuries. So he's a great name, but no longer maybe a world-class defender, right? And that's not a disrespect to him. It's just the way it is. 33, like there's miles on the clock. And there's also the fact that like, he's not like a player manager like Kenny Dalglish, where Kenny Dalglish was still playing at a very high level and was still part of the kind of Liverpool aura. So you, go, you make the transition as he did, as Dalglish did in sort of the, you know, late 80s. Dalglish made the transition from player to player manager and it was relatively seamless because you have that respect and that glory. Yeah. Companies returned to Anderlecht, but he's been away for a long time, right? So you've got this guy parachuting back in and because he wasn't immediately brilliant on the pitch, the aura's not there anymore. So Mark de Greiser came out, a former Anderlecht player, and was like, this is the problem as well. You've got like ex-Anderlecht players in the Belgian media going, you're not God. Like you think you're God. That's devastating. I mean, do you think it... I- do you think it would have been better for him to just go in as a manager? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because unfortunately they're seeing on the pitch every week, this guy is, is all too human, right? And again, to the point about um, being, uh, you know, the, the technical expertise that's needed, you're going into, you're going to war against like the baby Nagelsmanns. You've got the Belgian league, which is a great league for people who are trying to make their name as managers. And they are sitting there and working day and night on the tactical analysis and you cannot do this half-cocked. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally think on the subject of player managers in the modern era, you can only really do it in a league where you are still head and shoulders above everyone else in that league. It's the only, way it, league. It's the only yeah. way it can work. I know it's an extreme case, but they would talk about Guardiola when he was, playing, when he was managing at um, Bayern and how against Cologne, like some random, you know, very good counter-attacking team, but someone said like, come on, it's Cologne. And Guardiola had prepared like a sort of a, a dossier, yeah, a three-day dossier, or whatever, on, on how Is to that play Cologne. Pet confidential. That's absolutely right. Yeah, and that's the level of preparation that coaches are putting into these games now. And you see it like I mean, there's a bit of a jump across. To you look in also elsewhere in the German league, Bundesliga, the amount that Nagelsmann is putting in at Leipzig, and you can see the systemic changes he's made, and that's what companies competing against now. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly Edgar David's going to Barnet. No, it's not taking right. the number one shirt and the captaincy no. as player manager. <laughs> Um, another manager question from Davishish at Davishish69 
Are Real Betis already regretting sacking Kike Setien? Honest answer there, I don't really know. I don't know either. And I think you can't draw conclusions given they've just lost to a Barca team who looked really, really good. I mean, should we dive into that Barca game while we're here? Maybe we'll stagger the questions because... Yeah, I'd like to get into that. What a game. And seven brilliant goals. The performances were really encouraging. I mean, I, I love watching Griezmann. I love watching Rafinha. And there was a brilliant moment early on in the game where they combined down the wing, Jordi Alba, um, Griezmann and Rafinha. And I was like, they were just like about it. back heels, one twos, flicks. And I was like, they've got great chemistry there. Yeah. And I really root for, I root for Rafinha. And I root for Griezmann as well because yeah. we need transition away from Messi. And in that game, they showed, it wasn't just the goals they scored, it's the style of goals they scored, the variety of them. That was exciting. They kept cutting to Messi and Suarez on the bench. They were just like having a great time. Do you know what it reminded me of? Do you remember a couple of years ago when the Cavs did that mega trade thing for Clarkson and Larry Nance Jr. and all that lot? Went to Boston and beat the Celtics in Boston. Jordan Clarkson's like draining threes and LeBron just looks so happy as if to be like, I've got these guys now around me. I don't have to do it all. I've got my pieces, I've got my team. Oh, yeah. That's what kind of Messi looked like. He was like, I'm not here. And actually, we've got someone who's, who's kind of doing some stuff that I would be doing if I was on the pitch. Like the Griezmann second goal, the left foot. Beautiful finish. Yeah. And even like the, the build-up to it, the way that he was playing the give and go in midfield, I think with Rafinha again, I think that as well was like, I don't have to make those runs now. And this is why I would like not to sort of plug myself too much. I'd put Messi deeper um, as time goes on. I think he will go deeper is because now... Griezmann can press ahead of him, can make those runs ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, we've always said that Messi will end up as a midfielder properly. I mean, against Spurs, basically it went, basically anyway. was. Yeah. yeah, Spurs gets what basically was. First goal for Nebel Fakir, lovely goal. They were all great goals. It was such a good game to watch. That's why I can't really say that they were wrong to sack Setien because they still look pretty useful. I mean, they, were, they brought a bit of pain early on, Betis, so yeah. But they've lost their first two games and they are bottom of the league. You've got to kind of discount the Barca result because Barca on any given day will do that to almost any given team. Yeah. Um, long way to go I mean you know Villarreal last season looked dead and buried for ages and ended up escaping Athletic right. for ages looked like they were going to struggle and ended up coming top six I think in the end of top seven and also almost every result in our Liga this weekend was a nil-nil or a one-nil it was like a couple of games scooped up all the goals and the excitement there's a great thing I've got to quote this actually um, Grace Robertson uh, Twitter handle at Grace on Football a beautiful tweet all 20 teams in the Premier League all 18 teams in the Bundesliga all 20 teams in Liga uh, and 18 of the 19 teams in La Liga are averaging more shots per game than Atletico Madrid at this very early stage. Which is wonderful because Atleti have become <laughs> peak Atleti. <laughs> uh, tidy 1-0 win. I told you, man, you never have to play an Atletico Madrid game ever again. You don't. Just generate. And Joao Felix with the assist. Did you see the assist? Hey, lovely. I, like, I really like that kit, by the way. Yeah. Really nice. All right, another one from Justin Salhani. Basically, do Southampton deserve relegation because of their away kits? <laughs> um, yikes. Yes. <laughs> sorry, short. sorry, Rob. No, listen, Southampton. Rob isn't happy about the kits. Well, listen. There's a lot of. There's not a team I could pick for relegation this year because I like them all so much the way they're being run. Oh. But if it's going to come down to it then it's going to be Kits. And sorry, Southampton. It's been really nice knowing I you. mean, if it was Kits, Southampton would come dead bottom. <laughs> but also, there's been some crazy drama with the Kits. I don't, I don't think you could actually buy any of their Kits until like last weekend. That's weird. Uh, one more question. Well, it's kind of one from two different people kind of relating to some of the things. So right. we'll, we'll go through it. So first one from 
uh, Miguel Sicar. Do you think that the recent failures of star signings like Coutinho and Neymar will lead to more of a money ball approach in the game? Smaller clubs do it, but to still quite mixed results with good old school gut feeling, etc. And there's another one from Ash. On the example of Coutinho and maybe Ceballos, etc., do you think it will be more of a trend for clubs to do loans as opposed to direct signings? So I think these two are kind of linked, actually. They're linked to the size of transfer fees. Uh, I think that we will see more loans because I think players of that expense are just harder to afford if you don't have all that money. Yeah. So then that's fair. I think also loan is quite good for try before you buy. But I think one thing I want to say as well is we have to understand the nature of the name of transfer, that it was an unprecedented amount of money for a player. It's very rare in sporting history to get a player who is so accomplished as a footballer, but also just so unbelievably marketable, right? That's the thing about Neymar. It was basically a black swan transfer where all the stars aligned. You had a player at that, at that point looked to be set to inherit the mantle of Messi and basically screwed it, unfortunately. But at one point, it was very possible to see Neymar as the best player in the world from, after Messi for the next five, five years. Absolutely. Like top, top two, three, Ballon d'Or. And he's, he's screwed that. He's absolutely screwed it. But the Coutinho-Neymar transfer, they're closely related because when Neymar, of course, was sold, Barca panicked. And I'm very aware, and they bought Coutinho, and I'm very aware of drawing conclusions about the transfer market based on one signing, which basically was a panic sign, a panic sale, and a panic buy. I think the trend would have been, the long-term trend would have been in this direction anyway. And as Arsene Wenger, like the great sage that he is, the great prophet he is, predicted that one day we would no longer see transfer fees. I think that Neymar, the Neymar saga accelerated us towards that point. Yeah, I think we've definitely hit a point where there is a limit to the value of even the most valuable players in the world. Right. And yeah, we've had a couple of big 100 million euro plus signings this year, but I think a lot more of them will be massively staggered or performance related or loans with options to buy because the market has become so bloated now. It's not sustainable. And actually clubs have realised that it's not sustainable. Well, it was wild. I said, look at Joe Ellington, who scored the winner against Spurs for Newcastle the weekend. He costs 40 odd million. And for Hoffenheim, he scored one in three last year. These are not putting up trees numbers. These are good numbers. And that's Hoffenheim coached by Nagelsmann, right? I just look at that and think, good luck to the guy and that's all the rest of it. But 44 million for a, for a forward who scores one in three, hey, this is, a, this is some serious market distortion. And it's, it's the Neymar transfer, actually. I mm. think that once that happened, it was like all bets are off. It just pushes up the market for everyone, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so yeah, interesting times. And also interesting to see, weirdly enough, in a slight tangent, PSG just looking a lot happier without him in the team, if we're being real. Yeah. 4-0 against Toulouse. I mean, it's Toulouse, but still. Yeah. They just looked happy. Yeah. So, yeah. And let's quickly do some Bundesliga. Yeah, I went to the Olympic Stadium to watch Hertha against Wolfsburg. Hertha Berlin lost 3-0. Wolfsburg managed to get a penalty appeal turned down and then basically put in a counter-attacking, I suppose masterclasses is a bit strong because they scored two of the last goals the last... 30, uh, the last uh, eight minutes and didn't create much at all really in the interim period but they absorbed a fairly pedestrian looking Hertha side and Hertha should be a little bit worried because they didn't seem to have that many ideas yeah I didn't catch the game I only caught the highlights I mean they've got Luka Bacchio Dodi Luka Bacchio who's playing on the left flank who Watford sold for 25 million mm. this summer which they may say that was a good cash in for them but I'm not sure it was because Watford is struggling this year Mm-hmm. And Luka Bako scored a hat-trick against Bayern last year and then scored again against them 
you know, for Fortuna last season and this year for Hertha. I'm just not sure that was a good sale yeah. from, from Watford, given what he can do. And in patches, he looked like they're most likely to do something dangerous. So yeah, that was a 3-0 for Wolfsburg. We've now won two on the bounce. Olivier Glasner is really doing some smart things there. Love their uh, Xbox kit. Yeah, I got to say, I, I just think the combination of, with the combination of colours they have to play with, I think the kit could have been more inspiring. That's just my view. I'm glad that they've gone dark green, though. I like the dark green. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, elsewhere? Dortmund went behind again. Uh, they beat Cologne. I feel for Cologne because Cologne lost 2-1 to Wolfsburg last week. Again, like a well-coached um, coach side. Uh, and Dortmund, I think this was a great game for them because they got a bloody nose. Yeah, they went behind early again. Yeah. You know, Dominic Drexler scored for Cologne. And then Dortmund, it took them until the 70th minute. Jaden yeah. Sancho had a really lovely strike cut inside from a short corner. Yeah. Markin was a bit questionable. Lovely kind of left foot finish into the bottom corner. And then Ashraf Hakimi didn't get the second until the 86th minute, I think Julian Brandt opened them up. Julian, Julian Brandt looked good again coming mm. off the bench um, when he came on just after the hour mark. And then Sancho, another assist in stoppage time for Paco Alcasa. So he's got two goals and two assists in two games now, Jaden. And I've got to say as well, Julian Brandt is really taking them up a level that we've already, that, we've, that we hoped he would. I mean, having Julian Brandt coming off the bench at the moment is massive. I mean, I think he'll eventually end up starting, but the fact that Dortmund, we said this a million times last season, that they just struggled with injuries and struggled to look balanced. And this season they've got options. They've got a lot more options. And yeah, I mean, they can't keep giving sides one goal starts because otherwise they'll slip up like they did last season. For sure. But the fact that Dortmund pulled that one out, I think is a good shot. Nice little win for Leipzig against uh, Eintracht. That volley from Timo Werner was way more difficult than it looked because he was moving backwards and to maintain that momentum and kind of hook it in. But then he missed a really good shot. He so He's a funny one. But his movement, his movement's been fantastic. Uh, and again, this is, I think, you know, Nagelsmann, we're seeing already the impact of his coaching. Yeah, definitely. The type, the quality of chance that Werner is getting is, is, um, is really encouraging for them as a team. And they, they just look, they're going to be dangerous this year. Oh, can I say as well, a point for Union Berlin. Yes, Augsburg. their first point in the Bundesliga. So great. So great. Yeah. Uh, elsewhere in Germany, your beloved Wolfsburg. 6-1, two goals from Alexandra Pop. I really like that. She's taken a sort of central midfield role and is not only a controller, but a finisher. And I love the way that she's arriving on the end of moves. Got a great drive from distance for the first one and then ahead of the far post, 6-1. So yeah, looking tasty, 6-1. Um, it's two wins in the bounce. Yeah, but they're not top because Hoffenheim are top after beating Cologne 4-0. I think that's everything. We might have to go and get a nice pop. Do you know what? I tell you what, I got a very nice um, shout out actually to Ellie Mengham with who I went. Ellie Mengham, who is a brilliant uh, filmmaker, for those who don't know, with Copa 90. Uh, so we were hanging out yesterday at the Herta game and he was very nice. He got me one of those like white magnolia things. You know, they're like nice. the white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a bit bloated. I will say all those a listening magnum. to this podcast. A Magnum, sorry. Magnolia. I said Magnolia, didn't I? What is up with you today? I don't know. I'm weird. Can I say that? Maybe I'm lightheaded because of the excitement of speaking to you again, Ryan. Oh, just, I get oh, really, how yeah, kind. Sorry, just every week I just, oh my God, I'm recording. I'm recording Stadio today. <laughs> um, just a quick word of advice to all of those um, listening who are in hot climates. Stay hydrated. Also, watch out for those white chocolate ice creams. They're very delicious, but they do leave a bit bloated at night. Yeah. I was worried that we hadn't had any food chat on this Sorry, episode. sorry. Before we go, don't forget to hit us up on Twitter at Stadio. 
on Instagram yep. at Stadio Football. Stadio.football is the website. You can also email us through that. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review. It really helps us at the moment grow the podcast. And 18 years this week that Aaliyah died. So we're going to play out on One in a Million by Aaliyah. Uh, that, can I say that? That's beautiful because I loved Aaliyah as, as you did. And what an artist. So far ahead of, of her time. You look now, artists who are doing incredible things and the influences, mm. not just the music and the choreography and the visuals. You look at artists like Rosalia, artists like Kazaya here in Germany, and you can just see there's almost like um, a lineage, the heritage of what she created. So yeah, definitely. And then we'll be back next week. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. See you then. Show you, and that's true indeed.